Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. On today's episode of With the First Pick, we'll tell you which NFL rookies outperformed their draft evaluation and what we can learn from that as we look ahead to the 2023 class. We'll also talk about Nick Saban's historic run, not just as a college coach, but at developing NFL talent. And finally, we have a very special guest on today's show. That's right. Rick Spielman's back and he'll update us on the whirlwind that has been his last 10 days. I'm Ryan Wilson and that handsome devil is Rick Spielman. And Rick, before we get into your Recent comings and goings. How many days until the 2024 NFL draft? I, I was very sad because I didn't know. Because usually I'm in rhythm with you. and uh, But I know from the fact that with our very exclusive and uh, non-sponsored draft board behind us, that there is 99 days until the 2024 NFL draft. And Ryan, I've count, lost count. How many more days is it just till I can be uh, – Unfiltered with you. Negative one day. It was 100. It was on January 15th. So, <laughs> oh, so I can let loose today? <laughs> you can let loose today. The thing is that you, you missed me and Debo, so you're actually you're happy to see us. It's like you got lost in the woods and we found you. And uh, before you go back to your ways, you just want to have a hug and a, and a cup of tea. <laughs> By the way, it's been so long since, since we've done this together. It's only been a week and a half. This episode 114. Usually I mention that at the top. All right, Rick, let's get it started here. You've been... Uh, we make fun of you for having side jobs. You took a big side job 10 days ago, came out of this news to us on Monday morning. I called you Monday afternoon. You're like, hey, how you doing? I was like, well, I've been answering texts and phone calls all day. He goes, oh, yeah, why is that? I said, because when Adam Schefter tweets your name out, it typically becomes a story. And Adam Schefter tweeted that, that you were helping uh, the Washington Commanders and new owner Josh Harris on the search committee to find a GM and a, and a head coach. So why don't you give us an update of uh, – what you've been doing the last 10 days as much as you can. <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I'm in an undisclosed hotel location <laughs> that I cannot reveal uh, where I'm doing this show from today. But the one thing that I do absolutely want to make clear is that any of the evaluations that I have done were previous to this side job, as you like to say, Ryan. <laughs> and I have no involvement with Adam in personnel decisions and evaluation of players. So anything that when I do get back to being allowed to talk about these prospects is that it's purely, I think they do that on some of the infomercials. This is just purely on my own in my own reflection. It has nothing to do with the Washington commanders. It has nothing to do with Adam Peters or the direction they're going to go in the draft. And I, I've been working the last two weeks between the side job, uh, evaluating all the senior bowl talent that will be down there in a couple of weeks. Now that the list for, is for the podcast, out. for the podcast, for the podcast, yes, not for the Washington <laughs> Commanders. They do not get any of my reports. I do not want to know, and I have no in, in care of what direction they're going to go. But I do know this: as I went through this process. Uh, with uh, Bob Myers, who's a very impressive individual, the GM from the Golden State Warriors, and and uh, working with Josh Harris, who I know is the right leader of this franchise, the right ownership uh, group that is supporting him with with Urban Magic Johnson and and with all the other partners. It is very refreshing to see uh, how passionate they are about bringing a winning football team. Uh, back to this organization. And when I went through the GM searches uh, and was a part of those interviews and how we set up the interviews, how diligent uh, the process was, uh, how detailed it was, I was excited because interviewing all the five candidates that we had that came through uh, were more than qualified, and I believe all of them are going to be a GM here in, in the near future. 
But I learned a lot of stuff, too. I learned how different teams operate, uh, how different teams run their draft process, analytics, sports science. So to me, as much as I was trying to interview them, uh, I actually was really fascinated by the way the NFL has changed even five, six years ago, even, you know, two years uh, when I was let go by the Minnesota Vikings on how things are advancing in analytics, how things are advancing in sports science. Um, so it's been an incredible experience for me and an incredible learning experience because talking to all these top flight talent evaluators, you get a very good insight on how each of these teams operate and you can see why they have been so successful. Did you, as rumor had it, wear your with the first pick shirt during the interview process? I would have, but we only got one for the year. And unfortunately, it's <laughs> I, spilled, I spilled coffee on it. So right now I've been trying diligently to try to get that coffee stain out of the one with the first pick podcast T-shirt that we had. So, <laughs> um, but I did said, just go to your uh, favorite YouTube channel or whatever the heck you say at the end of these shows and download yeah. the app with the first pick. Um, so close enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's Debo. why I don't do the uh yeah, the promotions for this show. Debo, have you missed Rick at all? A little bit. I mean <laughs> I oh. Debo, you gotta admit I grow on you, right? And then when all of a sudden I'm not around, then it's like, yeah, I ca- that guy kind of grew on me a little bit. <laughs> we missed you for a uh a mock draft last week. Oh, I don't know no. if word got to you. But our, our good pal Emery Hunt joined and had a very interesting quarterback three. <laughs> oh, I'll do the uh, this is Emery's symbol for Mr. Rattler. <laughs> he was <laughs> come on, don't even tell me that. We can't I, talk about it. We can't we, talk about I can't it. We'll talk, talk about it. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But just to reiterate, Rick has no involvement with anything other than the search process. And uh, once he's concluded, once the commanders get their coach, Rick will be back full time. Ryan, do you think he calls um, Mr. Johnson? Do you think he calls him Irvin or Magic? I, he probably the first time called him the wrong nickname. Probably called him like uh, Dr. Dr. J. Dr. Or J. Something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dr. J. I remember watching you grow up. <laughs> oh, that's pretty great. Very impressive. Yeah. I was like floored uh, just getting an opportunity. And it was over Zoom, uh, but just speaking with him and. Uh, very impressive, uh, and you can see why he's been uh, so successful. Um, and it, it was funny because we were going through, and Bob Myers are bringing the NBA twist, which was also very interesting on how the NBA processes things and the, the different worlds that the NFL and the NBA are. But that's another thing. And any of these young scouts or assistant GMs, anytime you get an opportunity to visit with anyone, to educate yourself, even if it's in another sport. It's incredible, the knowledge and some of the ideas that may be applicable across uh, sports uh, can apply to even help you. And as I said, I've been in the business over 30-some years, as you used to say on the show, before I just became an old shoe on the show. <laughs> an old shoe. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, uh, I, I can't tell you, you never stop educating and you never stop learning. And that was a thing that really uh, had my juices flowing over these past couple of days is how much I learned from from all these people that I've been associating with over the uh, last couple of weeks. So you think Washington Commanders fans have reasons for optimism is what I'm hearing? I would be very optimistic from the ownership group, from Adam Peters. And I know that uh, Adam... Peters is going to take the lead on a head coaching search. Uh, I'll just be there to assist and give my opinions on as we go through this coaching search. Uh, but, you know, there's no question that Adam is the right man for the job and that uh, Josh will be and Adam will make the right decision on who the next head coach will be. It was pretty funny when the news came out last Monday and um, people assumed and Debo sort of noted this earlier before we started the podcast that you were just taking a full-time job with the commanders. And, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> I was <laughs> like, yeah, not. because you, you, you threw me and Debo a curveball. You said, you're not taking the chargers do- job, but you moonwalk right into the commander's job. But, uh, you did, you not didn't a job, a consulting gig or a side job as we like to say, but 
I'm very happy with my job as just a scout in the corner. Just a scout in the corner. All right, so that's the update on Mr. Spielman. And as soon as the commander's officially hired coach, he will be back with us full-time, hopefully sooner rather than later. So we'll navigate those waters uh, in the meantime. But glad to see Mr. Rick back on the show. We missed you, Rick. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about these rookies and how they've gotten to where they've gotten, uh, despite where perhaps being underdrafted. But we'll talk about that right after this. All right, before we get going, Rick, about uh, some of these rookies, and we talked about this in previous weeks, looking at the rookies who were underdrafted, quote-unquote, or maybe drafted too high and haven't quite lived up the expectations in year one. I want to ask you a quick question in the most general terms. Uh, how excited are you about the Detroit Lions? Yeah, very excited. Um, incredible on that process and how they put that all together. Uh and how they selected Brad Holmes, how they selected Dan Campbell. But you have to remember, it's it's not like pixie dust where it gets fixed in one year. That's true. They, they took their time. They built it the right way. They built through the draft. Uh, Brad Holmes is an excellent, to me, and one of the top evaluators in a draft and the type of people. And we're seeing it with the, this rookie class, all the way back to his first rookie class when uh, they uh, selected Panay Sewell, when he had a decision to make between him and uh, Chase, Jamar Chase. And they wanted to build the offensive and defensive lines. They wanted to build from inside out. And, you know, Sewell's maybe one of the best right tackles who can go over and play left tackle just as easy, but is a cornerstone of of the, in the foundation of that offensive line. So, but that's why they've had success. And their ownership uh, has been phenomenal on understanding the oh, process. That's a great picture, Debo. I want to ask Who you about that. Picture. So let me ask you about this picture. I saw this on, on uh, there's an app, a social media app called called Instagram, Rick, and the kids use it. And uh, that's Chris. That's your brother, Chris, there. I'm not sure who he's talking to, but behind him, you see Brad Holmes yelling. And that's, they were getting in the elevator after the game, and they were obviously all very excited. And I think the caption was that like 15, 20 years ago, Brad Holmes was working at like a rental car place. I don't know if that's true or not, or if you know the details of that. And Chris is just sitting there talking to whomever he's talking to. But Brad was just so excited about what they've done there and the journey he's made. And you talked about what a great evaluator he is. Uh, so we'll have to check with Chris on the details of the, the rental car situation. I don't know if you know about that. But I think the story is that sometimes people have to do things to get to where, where they want to go. That's not their ultimate end goal. I don't think he wanted to work at the rental park car place for the rest of his life, but he had to do it to pay his bills. And now he finds himself general manager of one of the best teams in the NFL? Well, uh, two things. Uh, one, that reminds me of the story of Young, Byron Young, the uh, pass rusher at Tennessee, and all the adversity oh, yeah. that he went through to get to the success he is having right now. And a lot of times when you go through these interviews or your background on people in general, you want people that have really had to go through adversity because that gives you a measure on how they were able to come out of that and how were they and they they were able to still succeed. So to me, that is tells so much about the character of a person. And I think uh, Martin Luther King. I had this quote in my office. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to show. You. In a second, but then Chris literally didn't budge, and and Brad is so excited, and he's yelling at the top of his lungs. It's like he's at a concert. He's just going, yeah, and just unleashing uh, all the. And, and apparently, the guy Chris is trying to talk to can give a rat's ass what Chris is saying. Anyway, <laughs> that's me and you. That's right. We're in the yeah. front, and Brad Holmes is celebrating in the back. Yeah, that, and then that's like I'm the the scout that sits in the corner of this podcast, <laughs> and you're I'm trying to tell you stuff, and you're just looking at your phone. <laughs> but go ahead. You were talking about adversity and. Yeah, Mark, I think he says you really, truly measure a man's character, not in uh, times of success, but when there's adversity and how they respond to adversity. And Brad Holmes, and I can't verify that, but if he did work his way up from there to make money to become what he's become to Byron Young, there's so many stories out there. And when you really try to dig deep into understanding people into understanding this process, uh, it's like player evaluations, although I'm not allowed to talk about players, but I will talk about and I can talk about the evaluation. The thing that fascinated me the most and what I learned and I learned from some of the mistakes I made was that 
when they have a crap game and then play to their standards and all these players are on their social media and, and they know everybody just, you know, how they, how they uh, get ripped on social media and et cetera, fans, booing them, whatever. I was always curious to see the next week when they came back, did that linger or did they have one of the best games of their season following a really crappy game that they played the week before? So interviewing players, interviewing general managers, interviewing now that we're starting this coaching process is try to identify and have them talk to you about some of the things that they had to go through and how they overcame that. What was their process? What was their thinking? I'm sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. No, I love it. It actually serves as a nice uh, segue into what we're going to talk about here. Excuse me, because uh, we talk about this frequently, but it's funny, especially given now how well this young man is playing. Uh, When we first talked to CJ Stroud at the combine, excuse me, I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, all choked up over my uh, passionate speech. Choked up over the Lions' success. Uh, my favorite Spielman there, unfazed in the elevators. Brad Holmes is celebrating wildly. Um, C.J. Stroud, when when you joke with him at the his first start ever at Ohio State, we've sort of gone through this. The Minnesota game, weather was poor, played poorly in the first half. You said after the second half performance, you had to erase your notes. He said, "Don't erase the notes. You know, give a young brother a chance to warm up." And you know, he followed Justin Fields. Things were relatively rocky for a short period of time when that transition happened. And now he, he's a top five quarterback in the NFL coming off a fantastic back-to-back week performances. Had to beat the, the uh, Colts in week 18 to get to the playoffs. And then doing what they did against the Browns was also incredibly impressive. Uh, I think and I have a list of – we're calling it self-scouting in terms of what we learned from the process last year. And I, the heading's overachievers. I don't know if C.J. Stroud's an overachiever. He was going to be a top five pick. But I think he's exceeded expectations. And I went back and looked at my notes, Rick, and uh, from the last draft cycle on CJ. And obviously the Georgia game was a big part of, uh, okay, he can do this thing. But I noted that he didn't throw with as much, much as anticipation as I liked. He's, he's one of the best anticipation throwers in the draft. So how do you marry uh, something you didn't see with something that you end up seeing later. How do you get to that point? If, if you haven't seen it, you haven't seen it. How do you know? Well, you just go off the low score on the S2. So yeah, <laughs> start start there. That's start right. there and let's move up from there. It was, like I said, you GMs, organizations, coaches spend so much time with these kids, way more than we will ever in the media side. Um, and the background they get and all the access they have to these testing and the film study that they do with all these guys as well. Um, they have a pretty good indication in each coach, whether it's a quarterback, offensive coordinator, head coach, have a specific plan in place. So when they go to these private workouts, when they go to the combine, how they, and it's different in the candidates that I talk to, everybody has a different way of identifying quarterbacks uh, and some are successful, some are not, uh, but they, they have so much more access. So it's still a subjective decision. It's never going to be an objective decision, you know, and I could say this and you would agree with me uh, when Debo who works us to death during the preseason, as well as the summer scouting school, um, when we watched C.J. Stroud in that New England preseason, I'll never forget. Yeah, It was like a deer in headlights, holding on to the ball, didn't know where to go with the ball. That's right. But I also have to give credit to Bobby Slowick, uh, who came in and whatever he did, whether it was adjust some things schematically, uh, let's take it down where he only has one or two reads to get the ball out instead of him trying to go through the whole progression tree and let him grow into that. So, it all marries up with a combination of a lot of things. But to your question, if that's to me the burning bush question, if someone had an answer to that, they would be a gazillionaire and be, you know, never, you know, 100% right on these quarterbacks. Yeah, it's funny. I've, I'm at the point now, I think this is my sixth draft for CBS. I'm at the point now just saying, we don't know. Like, it's, we just don't know. And, we're supposed people think we're supposed to know. No one knows. You're, you're we're, just we're getting, we're giving our educated guess on what we've seen. 
without all the resources and all of the tools that NFL teams have to try to make those decisions. But even the Houston Texans had no idea <laughs> CJ would have been this good. No, uh, you know, right. and I, you know, who knows Were they mad when Bryce Young went first? Right. Yeah. Who, who knows? No one will ever know that. I don't think they're mad now. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's, Hey, I hit on him. I got a quarterback. It's going to keep me in a job for a long, long time. And, uh, not, not, now <laughs> I'm not saying we're riding a gravy, gravy train, but we have the hardest position yep. at right now and God willing, he stays healthy, but the hardest position to solve soft. One less thing to think about. And that one less thing is the biggest, most important it, it's thing. It's the same thing. It, it's like Brian Gutekus and everybody oh, riding him. It. And, yeah. and even through the first half of the season, you talk about deer in headlights. Watch Jordan Love play in the Detroit that night game. I can't remember. It was a Sunday or Monday night and how bad he looked and how he looked like he can get through his reads and progressions. And look at what all of a sudden happened now and what he did this past weekend against the Dallas Cowboys and how he finished the year. is like 21 touchdowns and one interception. Are you kidding me? If you would have said good. that week four – People would have thought you should have been put to the loony bin, that you were nuts. Uh, <laughs> loony bin. I don't so. think you said it anymore, but I take your point. Um, <clears throat> all right, let's go there. I was going to go to two of my favorite uh, names. We'll get to those guys in a second, but you mentioned Brian Gutekinds and how well they've done with the draft. Also, stresses the importance, perhaps, of maybe letting your quarterback sit and learn for a little bit because um, – They have you know, the system. They did the same thing the with system. Aaron Rodgers uh, waiting till Brett Favre left, and then – they did the same thing with Jordan Love, and they have the luxury to do that. When you have two Hall of Famers that are still playing, you can take that risk. And, and uh, Matt LaFleur like did phenomenal. Doing his and part I, to help. And I think that, just watching and observing, is that he learned what Jordan Love does well. Yep. And it's it's it doesn't happen overnight. And he adjusted some things accordingly to maybe help Jordan Love, but that's what great coaches do. And it, earlier in the season, he at times seemed frustrated on the sidelines, and that's because you have every receiver is a first- or second-year player. And the name we're going to mention, I mean, we've talked Jaden Reed before. We've talked about the tight ends, Luke Musgrave and, and uh, Tucker Craft. I always want to call him Tyler Croft because it's very similar. Um, it's not, but go ahead. Yeah, it's different. There he is. He's back, Debo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about Dentavian Wicks. 159th pick, fifth round. We saw him at the Senior Bowl last year. Had a decent week. Didn't stand out necessarily. Came from a situation at UVA where the quarterback play wasn't lights out, and that's another thing that's so hard to evaluate. Um, you watch him this year. He's a contested catch guy. He consistently wins off the line of scrimmage. He runs away from man coverage on these over routes and these in these in these uh, drag routes. And that's a guy that we didn't necessarily miss on, but he's been put in a good situation. Has had a ton of success as wide receiver four, or wherever, however they're using him. Um, is that surprising at all, or is that more of a function of just landing in the right spot? I think when you evaluate these guys, and we go through that, because I think he ran like four, five, eight, or four. He six. didn't run fast. That's right. And but when you watch his tape, and uh, in between my side job here, I went back and watched all the players that. Uh, Debo assigned to us. And the one thing that really stuck out, stuck out to me about Wicks was that he runs the sprouts with the same speed. I mean, he's not a four, three guy that looks like that runs four, six on the field, right? If he's four, five, eight or four, six, that's what he is running. There is no wasted motion. Uh, his twitch in and out of his cuts, uh, his ability to catch the ball, uh, maybe a better athlete than anticipated after the catch, although he showed flashes of that at Virginia. So this is just in a couple of these guys. Um, it's people get so hung up at times on the measurables and, and, but are they good football players? And I know that's one thing that some of these general manager candidates I talked to is you don't have to overcomplicate this. It's yeah, I understand the analytics and how that helps with a decision making process. So wait, you interviewed Pete Prisco? Yeah, no, <laughs> Pete was not. On, Pete didn't make the list of the first hundred that I was going to interview for the general manager job. But he goes, it's not complicated, right? But it isn't. It, it's what do you see on tape? Are they passionate about the game? 
and are they, you know, the the just good football category, uh, good football player category that we uh, came up with last year. And a lot of those guys that were in our just good football player category are playing pretty good. Yeah. So I'm looking at my notes here. Uh, I said, Wicks is at his best on short and intermediate routes, get the ball in his hands, and he can win with his size, athleticism, shiftiness, has yak potential, uh, can have focus drops, but generally had reliable hands. I think he's only had one drop this season. Ran a 4.62 right. uh, during the pre-job process. Doesn't play, to your point, at 4.62. All right, let's save the wide receivers. Hey, Brian, I got a quick question yeah. for the both of you. Just talking about Jordan Love. I think this is an interesting one. Am I allowed to, Debo? I get you, know, you can I get... answer this one. You can answer this one. <laughs> You're the uh, yeah, the uh, compliance of, of officer <laughs> when I'm answering questions. Next five years, Ooh. rank these quarterbacks that you would take from the 2020 draft in the order that you would want on your team. Burrow, Tua, Herbert, Love, Hurts. And you can throw in Ben DiNucci if you want. Ben DiNucci. All right. All right. So it has to be a general football team. Don't don't name a team in the Delmarva area, please, Rick. Uh, All right. You want to go first, Rick? Uh, As of today? Yeah, let's assume Joe Burrow's healthy. But projecting five years ahead, you can take Burroughs injury history into account. You can take different things into account, but projecting ahead for the next, not who's played the best through the first four years of their oh, career. Oh boy. Next five. Mm, Hi, Rick, that, you're on the clock. Oh, okay. Uh, am I allowed to speak freely, Debo? You can yeah, speak, speak freely. freely. <laughs> Just don't talk about Caleb Williams. <laughs> <laughs> but I am going. I can talk about Drake May. <laughs> you can talk about Drake Johnson and Caleb uh, Reynolds. How about that? <laughs> I. You know what I'm going to go off of what I've seen health-wise, uh, progress. Uh, what the incredible. I'm going to go with Jordan Love. Oh gosh, I love it, and I think you're a victim of the moment, but I don't disagree with it. I want rankings though. I want I want one through five. Okay, love for me one. Love's one. Okay, I'm actually leaning towards love as well. Go ahead. Who you got for two? Who was the next four? I don't have Burrow, Tua, Herbert, Jalen Hurts. Uh, I'm going to go with Burrow too. Oh, okay. I'm going to go with Herbert too, which is stupid. My Joe Joe Burrow hit the Joe Burrow injury history is what concerns me. All right, Tua. I'm going with Herbert three. All right, I'm gonna go with Burrow three. Two are Hertz. Uh, I'm going to go with. Oh boy, boy, that's like. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Hertz. You know what? I think I am too. Man, man, did that surprise you, Debo? Two, two is five for both of us. No, I expected two to be five. I didn't expect number one. Well, who are you taking? Burrow or, Her- or Herbert? Uh, I, I think I'm taking number four on your list. No, I'm I'm taking Burrow. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, you've since you got Herbert a little bit wrong in the pre-draft process, you've kind of overcompensated, and that I really have. him ever since. I have. He's been put in a situation to fail too, with the way they keep hiring and firing folks. You there. love him more now than you loved Mac Jones during the draft process. Would you say it a whole lot? <laughs> I need Mac to have a bounce back career. This is not working out well. All right. So the All only right. difference there is is two and three with the flip flopping of Burrow and Herbert. Yeah. And, and probably underselling Burrow because of the injuries. Because when he's yeah. on, he's amazing. Yeah, that's a that's probably a crazy list. Uh, when we see this in three years, and Burrow has two t- two Super Bowls. <laughs> and, and you know what? I'll just be a scout in the corner, giving my opinion, give it to our GM on the show. Yeah, there you go. You're literally a scout in the corner now for your side <laughs> job. Unbelievable. Where <laughs> I'd like Art. to interview you, Ryan. Sorry, oh, can you imagine problem. that? Did you use any of the uh, special operations techniques you use in the interview process? You learned? I, well, those are all. Uh, Can't say. I'll just leave it at it. Uh, I can talk for two and a half hours pretty easy with someone. Oh, this we know. We're quite familiar with that side of you. <laughs> All right. Let's go to another receiver. We talked about Dontavian Wicks. Let's talk about A.T. Perry because that's a guy ran a four four seven, but I thought when he was at Wake Forest, I don't want to call him plotting, but he was a long strider. 
It wasn't necessarily twitchy in and out of his breaks. Hey, guess what? Still that same guy, but he stacks guys because he's a long strider. He can run away from guys, and he high points everything. And he wasn't used a lot, but he was incredibly effective when he was used for the Saints. Uh, I think he's a, a big surprise. He ended up being, let's see, AT was uh, drafted sixth round, 195th overall. So there were conversations about him being a top 100 guy. Uh, and I think the reasons he fell is probably um, while he – time fast he didn't necessarily play fast and there were concerns about his wiggle or whatever you want to call it but no such concerns in terms of he just throw him jump balls he catches them yeah no and um that was what stuck out a little bit about his ability because of his length and his uh ability to leap and high point the ball and i believe he didn't even play the first half of the season i think week eight is when he started to play and the one i watched him against detroit not that I watched Detroit Lion games, but uh, there was a throw that Carr threw all the way back. They were in the red zone across the field, and it was a jump ball situation, and AT went up and got the ball. And uh, there, you, then you see, yeah, I've seen him do this at Wake Forest. So he still needs some route refinement. Um, I still think he needs um, a little stronger at the catch at times, but – it was like the more he played, the more confident he got, mm. the, the more, I want to say competitive because he's a competitive player. But when it was in contested situations, he was the one that was going to bring the ball down. Where I don't know if he was, not that he couldn't do it, but if he was as sure of himself to go up and battle these DBs. And then I, I saw that catch in Detroit, and then you see that continue. Um so I think that he is, you know, kind of a, 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 a going to be a really good red zone threat. And yeah. I just seen just like all these rookies, they stop thinking and just go out and play and have fun. And that's what uh, he started to do and got better and better week in and week out. You know, my comp for him is just based on the fact that he plays for uh, the Saints and was drafted low. Marcus Colson. Yeah. No, I knew you were going to go there because that's oh, an obvious go. one. He was Marcus a- Colson go to school. Uh, Hofstra. Oh my gosh, you got that one. He's back, Debo. He's back. <laughs> well done. All right, 2006 draft, I believe. Uh, I'll mention these names in passing just because we've talked a ton about them. And uh, Puka Spielman and then, and then Kobe Spielman. Kobe Turner and Puka Nakua. He, he wasn't a flash in the pan. He was as good as a receiver as there was. And another, just like we talked about uh, Wicks, um, Puka was the same thing, except yeah. he got an opportunity earlier. And I was like, okay, great. He had a hundred yard game. So Brian Wilson, (laughs) yeah. But then he kept doing it and he kept stacking and he kept getting better. And the thing that surprised me, and it wasn't, he wasn't a good football player at BYU. It's just the durability uh, concerns with him coming out. And he was another guy that, like I said, didn't really stand out at the senior bowl, but that's why you don't put all your final decision-making just on the senior bowl. Yep. Um, But probably the thing that surprised me the most is the run after catch because he's not an electric athlete, but he's so big and physical and strong. strong. He just shakes people off. And the lions found that out too. Yeah. And even on the double move, what do you want to call it? Double move where he beat Sutton on that first long pass down the left sideline. That was because of his smarts, his intelligence, and he's improved tremendously through the season as a, a route runner. And the one thing that really sticks out of anything that you can't forget is his instincts to play football and his ability to find uh, open areas and knows how to work between zones and then knows how to use his big body. Uh, and there was a couple guys at the senior bowl that I was excited to talk about today. And one guy particularly reminded me of Puka. But unfortunately, I am banned from expressing my personal opinions on this show. I'll leave you out, Rick. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, well, hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. Um, Puka ran a 4.57 during the pre-draft process. And there's a clip going around by the Rams um, about how they came upon Puka. And one of the things that GM Les Needs said when he was talking on during the draft, I think it was day three of the draft, to Sean McVay was, well, when you – look at his you sort of speed on field speed because you guys have access to that information i would imagine 
He was one of the fastest guys on the field, and that shows up. We, we yeah, GPS out. tracking. The yeah. GPS tracking also is is significant now, and trying to figure out play speed besides just using your eye. Well, they got that one right. So, great job on Puka, fifth round pick. Kobe Turner, we talked about a few weeks ago, third round pick, interior defensive lineman. Uh, he is on a one man mission to get back at Rick Spielman for his evaluation, but he's playing at a high level. He is a good pass rush. I did not say anything about his pass rush. I just said. Don't make Lee come through that door behind you. (laughs) I'm in an undisclosed location where I cannot. uh, In fact, I'm surprised, Debo, they didn't have my face blurred. As we're your, voice, here. your voice altered. <laughs> and my voice altered as we're so sitting like, here. Uh, Darth hey, Vader. if I can I do the senior bowl if my face is blurred, my yeah, voice. Yeah, how about is that, Debo? If he wears like a uh <laughs> Halloween mask or something. <laughs> Nothing for uh, Debo. All right. So Kobe Turner obviously done a great job. I don't want to spend a lot of time on him because you, you have things to do. Not uh, a rookie all pro though. He what, Debo? Not a rookie all pro, according oh. to Mr. Spielman. Oh. Yeah, no, what I was saying is that you recognize the pass rush, but, you know, the thing where it was some people had him in the first round, I didn't think he was first round because he had one trait, and that was the rush to passer. But you remember when we tried to put these, when we started this into these categories, and if they're 16 or 17-game starters, and yeah. can they line up for 60 snaps a game? Now, I don't think anyone, there's rarity now, and that's something to be – cognizant of because the game has changed and there's a lot more rotation. And when you rotate the defensive line, it really helps him be more effective. Do I still think he gets stronger at the point versus the run? Yeah. What was Detroit? They wanted to run the ball in the middle of the field because as great a player as Aaron Donald is, and uh, they're small. So you take those big offensive linemen that Detroit has and kind of mash them with combination blocks and double team blocks and create movement at the point, then you have success in a run game. So that's what happened with, um, uh, I can't even remember what game it was, but they were just smack. Oh, Dallas's defense. What the hell happened to them? Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, one of the guys they drafted in a moment who hasn't played a, a ton, but I mean, they were probably hoping for more. Uh, staying along the defensive line, though, let's go back to Green Bay and Carl Brooks. And um, 6 3 303 during the draft process. And I say that, which isn't a surprise if you play three technique, which is what he plays a lot for Green Bay. But I was looking back at his breakdown of where he played um, at Bowling Green. Half his snaps were at five or seven techniques. So he played outside edge rush, uh, played some nine technique, which is funny that you think about him. Only play, he played less than 10% of his snaps. I had three technique for Bowling Green. They choose him outside to manhandle offensive tackles because of his athleticism. You see that athleticism, you see the strength, you see the power, you see the actually pretty good leverage uh, with the snaps he's gotten for Green Bay. He was a six-round pick. What do you think about old Carl Brooks? Well, I remember watching him. I believe they played USC, if I recall, and or UCLA. I can't remember, but it was uh, one of the Pac-12 schools back when he came out. Um, or, or was that him or was that – Icon or, or Ainkun, uh, the kid from Central Michigan. Oh, Ainkun. Yeah, I'm not yes. sure which one it was. Right. But the thing that stuck out about Brooks is I remember that you see this 300-pounder playing from a two-point stance at times. <laughs> and you see the athleticism and where you see the flashes of, oh, yeah, this guy may have a chance because the only chance he was going to have is to convert him to a three technique or an inside pass rusher. He doesn't have the length or the speed or, you know, as the edge rushers in the league now. But that flashed down when we watched him at the Senior Bowl. Um, yep. And they put him inside in some one-on-one pass rush drills. Was he Rawls with tech, with his technique? Yes. Can you see the first step quickness? Yes. Can you see him bend and explode through edges? Yes. Is he going to take some time? Yes. But he has the tools to work with. And that's the hardest position to find in the draft is these inline pass rushers. And someone's going to take a swing on a kid like that who is that athletic but never really played or lined up at that position to start working with him as a project. And then kudos to Green Bay and the coaching staff for developing these guys and having these guys make a major impact. So he had 10 sacks last year for Bowling Green. First game of the season they played UCLA. UCLA, that's the one I remember was the West Coast in the – Coliseum or Rose Bowl. 
You don't know what my comp How was? about my recalls? My recall? That's pretty good. Excellent or That's what? Pretty good. Can I, yeah, kind of pat myself on the back for a scout in the corner. <laughs> you want to know what my comp form was at the time? Mm-mm. No, you don't want to know? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> really, I don't. <laughs> I, my comps have gotten better, I feel like. I said a more athletic LJ Collier because LJ was thicker and played yeah. outside. TCU. Yeah. But he, was, he ended up being a bust. He was overdrafted in the first round by the Seahawks. I had a day, like a late day two grade on Carl Brooks. Is that too rich? A little bit, but, uh, you know. He's doing okay. He's, uh, yeah. So they got great value where they drafted yeah. him. Yep. All right. Um, I'll, we'll just mention Brian Branch and in, 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 in passing because we've talked a lot about Brian. He had a great game just from watching on the broadcast. And I go back and watch him. Um, guy's a heat seeking missile, plays nickel for obviously for the Lions drafted out of uh, Alabama. We've talked Another about a good before. football player that plays faster than this time speed four, five, eight. I would imagine yeah. if Les Need saw his GPS speed, it was probably Puka Nakul esque because he's. He's a heat-seeking missile. But um, that's another great find. The Lions have like four first-round picks in their first four selections, which is pretty funny. All right, let's talk about – the last guy I'll talk about here is is uh, Tyreek Stevenson. Because we – when we talked about him last year, and I mentioned this before, the UNC game came up in which he looked lost like he had never played football before. Long, athletic, looks like an NFL cornerback. He's had a really good season as a second-round pick for the Bears. The Bears had a pretty good draft in retrospect. He played a ton. Their right tackle, Darnell uh, – Right, the first round pick uh, played a ton as well. Um, I was impressed with what Tyreek was able to do, and again, it probably the lesson for us is probably <clears throat> it's hard to tell. Like one game, you just talked about this earlier, doesn't define who you are, but it can leave a bad taste in your mouth if you're trying to evaluate someone. Right? Yeah, and there's no question about his length, his athleticism, the his speed to play corner. Uh, I think the hangup was okay. God, it just what. And we didn't get an opportunity. Teams were probably interviewed him, said, what the hell happened in yeah. North Carolina? Was it busted coverage? You guys looked lost. Uh, you're letting guys run free down the field. So you don't know if it was mental or it wasn't or was it physical uh, or why he let that happen. But he got better. I don't think he started out as strong as you're indicated at the beginning of the season. Yeah. But I think he got better the more comfortable he got. Um the length and the athleticism show up when he's played man coverage and zone. I still think he's a little inconsistent as a tackler, but more than willing. Um, and then I think the Atlanta game at the end of the year in the snow game, I think he had two interceptions that game. I'm not, he can double check me, but I know he got his hands on some ball, some balls, but there were some up and down games too. But every indication is he's, uh, ascending in the right direction uh, to be a, a really good corner in this league, but he's going. To, he had his growing pains as well, which is a tough position to to, to learn and and to go out there and get thrown to the wolves in your, as a rookie. Yep, four interceptions. Uh, two came in that um, New Year's Eve game uh, against Mr. Heineke. So and one against Des Ritter as well. Um, <clears throat> but I think it felt like. It, Sort of going back to the, the year before draft class. Um, Kyrie Elam was a perfect example. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the Bill Steelers game. Uh, Kyrie Elam, who got benched for much of the year, they didn't even want to play him. They had to play him because of injuries. Rasul Douglas was yeah. hurt. Christian Benford had to go out. And he he took some, some punches early on in that Steelers game, and his confidence was an all-time low. And the next thing you know, he turns around, the ball hits him in the hands in the end zone, he makes the interception. And I think confidence has so much to do with um, – Especially at that position. Right, exactly. Absolutely. All right. Last name I'll mention here, and uh, we'll call this uh, an honorable mention because uh, this young man unfortunately got hurt late in the season and didn't get a chance to play until midway through the season. But when he did, he was electric. Undrafted free agent, who I thought should have been drafted, running back out of ECU, Keaton Mitchell. And, you know, we talked about it consistently. He didn't like to run between the tackles at ECU, he just outran everyone to the corner. But they found Todd Munkin did ways to get him in space. And, I mean, there were oppor- there were times where he would run the ball and people wouldn't even get a hand on him. And then that speed is so intoxicating. Dynamic, <laughs> Dynamic might be a better word. Uh, what would you think about Keaton Mitchell? I think you thought he should have gotten drafted as well. Yeah, I thought with these smaller, because he's a small running back that's a roll-type player, um, you know, his speed popped out on the ECU tape we watched last year. 
it was how tough was he? Was his body going to be able to hold up to the physical beat? I would say beating, pounding, or the hits that he was going to be able to take. But there was no questions in space that this kid had some electric playmaking ability. It was the size concern, and will he be able to hold up? And when you look at these smaller running backs, especially if you're classifying them as third down type backs, yeah. one of the things that a knock on these guys, if they have to stay in and pass protect, that they're probably not going to be very effective doing that uh, just because they're just physically outmatched with who they're going to be squaring up with a linebacker, safety, whoever. So, But a lot of these offenses now are getting the ball out of the quarterback's hand so quickly uh, that it's uh, they still have to pass protect, but they're trying to get the ball into the playmaker's hands uh, to try to combat uh, the pressure packages that they're seeing. Yeah. Nope. I agree. And just for people listening, this isn't an exhaustive list, just some names that that came to mind as we're going through the process. I'm sure we'll probably circle back and get to more names, uh, especially as we get further along into the draft process and maybe even this summer, uh, we'll double back on the self scouting as we do the next year's summer scouting. Assuming Rick is not, uh, still looking for a coach for the Washington Commanders. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll hit a handful of names of players that we want to see more from, especially given their draft position, but we haven't quite yet. And we'll talk about that right after this. All right, Rick. Let's talk about some players that didn't quite live up to expectations, especially given where they were drafted. Conversation has to begin with our buddy Bryce Young, first overall. And there were rare glimpses of, of hope for a number of reasons, not all having to do with Bryce. But we saw occasionally, certainly not often enough, what we saw at Alabama. But it was, if we're being honest, a really rough season for for him. So where do you go from here? I know they don't have a coach yet. They don't have a GM yet. They have a lot of questions to answer. Uh, there are even questions now about, is Icky Kwanu going to be the left tackle? Because he struggled so much in two years. So, I mean, sweet mercy alive. But Bryce had a, had a tough go of it. Yeah, he's he struggled. They, I don't think they schematically fit what his strengths were as a quarterback, but he also missed some throws. I mean, he learned that you got to get the ball out quickly. You don't hold the ball like sometimes he did at Alabama. But the one thing is, I don't question this kid's toughness at all. For a small quarterback that took some of the hits that he had to take and for him to keep bouncing back up. And this will be a very good example two, three years from now when we talk about people measuring adversity and let's see how he responds. And if he responds, like, I think he's going to respond, then it'll be a totally different story. Maybe two or three years from now. Yeah. Um, if you're, let's say if you're the GM who kept his job and the owner's as angry as the owner is, what, uh, what are you telling him when he's like, how are we going to fix this? Well, that's what we're going to do. We have to get a, off-season plan, whoever the next coach is and the scheme is, schematic uh, approach this coach and his staff are going to have, it's going to have to fit to what Bryce Young does best. You've never been of the opinion that you – what if the owner says to you, you need to pick the offensive coordinator? Then what do you do? It's the head coach's responsibility. I'm, yeah, I, but what if the owner tells you to do it? Because he doesn't trust <laughs> oh, I'm going to do what the owner says, but I don't definitely don't think that's the right, that's the right question. And – that is absolutely insane. That's why you're a general manager and not an owner. Okay. All right. I just want to put that on you, see what you would say. All right. Yep. Bryce's got to get better. I'm sure hopefully he's taking some time off and getting healthy. Healing. Yeah. And then mentally he can get back into it. All right. Let's talk about his teammate drafted uh, with the 39th pick, second round, Jonathan Mingo. I I thought that was a little high for me, but I know people like Jonathan Mingo more than I did. Again, I think he was a victim of circumstance in many cases, but he also struggled with route running struggle with focus drops and you've talked about it before sometimes you can be overwhelmed especially as a rookie wide receiver and that seemed to be the case consistently Mingo played better down the stretch and then he was an IR the last week or two um what do you think about his season then yeah no he got better uh really struggled struggled into and out of his cuts uh didn't run a a wide variety of routes at Ole Miss uh when he came out a lot of underneath stuff I still think that you know, he's someone that maybe, and I don't know what he ran, but maybe played slower than what his time speed was. Four, four, six. So that was the opposite of Puka and Wix and the guys that we previously talked about. So 
but I do think his routes improved. I do think he made some contested catches. You can see the size uh, and the hands. The drops were a concern, uh, but at least you've seen him ascend some, especially down the stretch. Yeah, and we can see wide receivers take leaps in year two when they're comfortable in the system. The system will be changing, but um, there are very few bright spots on that offense, and that's just the reality of how the 2023 season went for the Panthers. All right, let's keep going here. Mozzie Smith, we talked about the interior defensive lineman previously, the guys that overachieved in the previous segment here. Mozzie Smith didn't play a whole lot, wasn't as productive as perhaps we wanted. We talked about him at the midseason point looking at the first-round picks. He's on a bust, but he just hasn't flashed the athleticism that he didn't necessarily flash consistently in Michigan, but there was the potential there. So what's the plan going forward with Mozzie Smith, and what do you learn from 2023? Yeah, I, I watched the second half of the year. And you can see the athleticism. You can see when he plays with the proper technique that he can anchor at the point. My issue, I don't know, like I said, um, where he got too narrow base. A lot of times on down blocks, um, mm. he wasn't staying square to the line of scrimmage, but I don't know the technique that he is being taught. Um, but he is uh, – got the ability, but then it goes back to when you're talking about these guys is there's flashes in college, but there wasn't always a production. So I would go back. Are we going to make him productive? Is he going to be a Daniil Hunter? Uh, and I think he can be because there's no question about this, the, the freak athlete and speed um, that he has. It's just can he put it together as a football player? Right. There's no concern. One, he only that. had, I think, one sack, and the one sack was a sack where someone fell back into him. Yeah. The quarterback fell into him as he was getting upfield. And got, you're not worried about Mozzie. You're just finding ways to make him more productive in the, through the offseason process as you get into year two. And but hopefully just, you'll see, yep, yeah, your uh, growth spurt in year two. Are you perhaps more concerned about Emmanuel Forbes, the cornerback, who is undersized? What does that mean? I am not going to talk. I cannot talk about Emmanuel because oh, I that's do. right. People will take <laughs> I, it the wrong way. I so. totally forgot about that. Yeah, how about that? Debo's furiously spilled, uh, clean up the coffee, just spilled all over himself. I wrote this note, didn't even think about it because we've talked about him previously. So you got to go back into the archives about that. <laughs> I was like, what is Rick doing? <laughs> all right, Emmanuel Forbes. I'll just say, great young man. All right, we got a few minutes here, Rick. That's all I had for the underachievers. I don't call them underachievers. Guys who didn't live to the potential in year one. Any names that you wanted to touch on besides that? Otherwise, uh, we'll talk about a man that once fired you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go on to the man that fired me. <laughs> um, Nick Saban retired, which is pretty incredible. We had a run, man. Like Bill Belichick, he and Nick Saban are contemporaries. Of course, they coach together in Cleveland. Uh, he's out in New England. Pete Carroll is out in Seattle. Nick Saban's retiring. It's it's a wild time to to be a football fan. But and you you know Nick Saban well. You you work with him in Miami. Um, I think he did in fact ask you to leave, right? He did. We. <laughs> <laughs> but you but he actually respects you. And one of the things you've said about Nick Saban is that while he can be a, a tough hombre, is the word you like to use. You you learn more football from Nick than anyone else. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the first call when I was fired by Minnesota was from Alabama, huh. Nick Saban. And the, the respect factor there. Um, and uh, for me to go back to do some consulting work for Alabama while he was a head coach there uh, was an incredible experience. And like I said, you can talk to a hundred people, and have different opinions on whether he's hard or easy to work with. But the one opinion that you will get a consistent messaging on is he is one of the most brilliant minds when it comes to football. And not one person that I've ever talked to that worked for Nick, including myself, would say, I am not a better talent evaluator. Uh, and I know much more about the game because of my time, short time I spent with Nick in Miami, but even over these last two years, even though I was working basically on the personnel side for him, but just to be at their practices, <clears throat> just to see why they're so successful down there. And, you know, I don't think there's ever, or, you know, maybe never another college coach that will have the success that he has had 
uh, at Alabama, at LSU. He's a winner everywhere he's won that he's been. And there's another thing I love about that. Yeah, and you you've spoken extremely highly of Nick Saban um, in the conversations we've had. Not that we've had a lot, but just in terms of who he is. And one of the things I love about Nick Saban. Uh, again, I'm going to refer to Instagram because I get caught up looking at these Instagram reels, um, which is just – they're called short videos on Instagram, Rick, just so you know. But yeah. a lot of times people will cut uh, things that either Saban says in his press conferences or he, he said at some convention or wherever he's speaking. And um, I send them to my wife and to my sister-in-law because they don't care about football, nor do they know who Nick Saban is. But the lessons are actually pretty interesting. And I was watching one the other day in which – um, media get fired up about kicking guys off the team, especially these college kids. I remember that. Wrong. And he went on a on a tirade. Not a tirade. He went on a, a nice little diatribe about why that doesn't make sense. And, and basically, the what, do you, line, what do you want me to do with this kid? Throw what him out the, on the what street? are these kids going to do? Aren't, right. And the one thing I've learned from his is not only the football part of it, but the caring for the young men that have played for Nick Saban. Now, is he going to? ride your rear end and practice and try to get you. If he's not riding you, then you know you can't play. So <laughs> it's a tough love. But the impact he's had on so many lives, not only on the field, but off the field, and how he's probably changed the path of a lot of the young men that he has coached that may went the wrong way, end right. up going the right way, because – there's no one, and I've been around it for as tough as he can be to work with. There's no one that cares more for his people and their family than Nick Saban. And it's funny when we have the Alabama kids come through the combine and we talk to them, every single one of them to a person loves Nick Saban and what he's done. And I've talked to people around that program that have said, it takes a special five-star kid to go to Alabama because they're used to being pampered their entire life. They understand what they're getting into. Some of them transfer, and that's fine, but the kids that stay understand that it, it ain't going to be uh, Club Med. It's going to be a, a lot of hard, hard work, and you're going to hear some things you probably have never heard before, but maybe that you need to hear, and I think that's one of the things that Saban's been really good at. I know I'm not allowed to talk about draft prospects, <laughs> but Terry on uh, – Terry and Arnold. Arnold coming out of uh, Alabama, go back and listen to one of his post-game uh, interviews on the field uh, and what he said about Nick Saban. Was that the one where he came off the field and he saw Nick Saban yelling at somebody and it ended up being him? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's like, oh, but, someone's in trouble. Yeah. But it was, it tells you the impact that Nick has on these kids on how Terion answered uh, the interview questions after that. Phenomenal. Another thing I'll just mention, and you can't, you can just listen. You can't talk. Uh, Jalen Milrow got benched earlier this year for playing not great football, and they went through some some things there for a couple weeks. And to see Jalen Milrow and Nick Saban and our Jenny Dell on the sidelines after the last few games in which they won, uh, told you all you needed to know about how Jalen Milrow felt about Nick Saban and how much he loved that man, even though they are fifty years age difference. Uh, but in terms of the respect they have for him, and they just, I mean, I get it. People are complicated. There are things that Nick Saban has probably done that people don't like, but there are a lot of people that appreciate Nick Saban for who he is. But let's talk about some of the – Oh, go ahead. I oh, yeah. Off now. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Janet Milrow is not coming out in the draft. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Devo. So, so you guys gonna, miss me. <laughs> someone's going to cut that clip and say, this is the man responsible for hiring our general manager and quarterback. Uh, no comment from Debo. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, Rick put a hat over his face and pretended that he was Darth Vader. Unbelievable. Oh, I, was, I was like one of those uh, in the protect, protective witness program. Right. Yeah. You were you were talking about the the mobster that the the DA is trying yeah. to put away. You don't want your identity revealed, even though your name is on the hat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Some fun facts that Devo put together for us about Nick Saban here in the last few minutes before you get get to getting. Uh, most first-round picks since 2008, 43 of them. By the way, Nick Saban arrived in Alabama in 2007, I believe. I don't think they had any kids drafted that 07 team, which is remarkable. I think they had a losing record, off, if I just go from memory. And then then the old faucet came on, and all the first-round picks came out of it. Uh, of those 44 uh, first-round picks, 23 were five-stars. <laughs> 16 were four stars and four were three stars. I wonder who those four three stars were. 
Well, uh, that's a, that's the problem. That's was the hardest thing with Nick to adjust in the NFL. You don't get 17 first round picks every year out of your draft class. You, you know what I'll say one. about Nick Saban uh, as we're sort of doing this retrospective Steelers lost on over the weekend to the bills and Najee Harris, who played for Nick Saban and who thought you were an East coast scout when you interviewed him uh, during the pre-draft process uh, said after the game, that th- essentially that this ain't like college where we had a lot more structure. We need a little more structure here. Yeah. And he said, I'm not talking about the coaches, but just the overall approach. And Nick Saban seems like he'd be a no nonsense guy. And I think Najee appreciated that structure. And a lot of those players seem to. Yeah, no. And like I said, he'll be go down in history as one of the greatest college football coaches uh, up there with the bear Bryants of the world and the, all, all the greats, and he is definitely on the Ru- Mount Rushmore, in my opinion, of college coaches. Mac Jones, Josh Jacobs, Chance Wormack, the three three stars that oh. became first round oh. picks. Look at Debo. I was going to guess Mac Jones, but I didn't want to be disrespectful, but Mac Jones it is. <laughs> well done, Debo. All right, I'm going to ask you this. I think you can talk, I think you can talk about this one. Uh, best... I got my hat and my voice in case okay. I can't. <laughs> All right. I can. I don't know if you have Debo's list in front of you or not. If not, no, I'll, I'll, I'm just I like I'm flying off the cuff right now. Okay. All right. Off the top of your head, and then I'll give you some names if you if you struggle. Best first rounder to come out of Alabama during the next Saban era. Mm, boy, you want some help? Yeah, give me some. Julio. Me... Yeah. And let's talk about college, not what they did in the NFL, just strictly college performance. Julio. Amari Cooper. Um, I'm going to mention Will Anderson Jr. Quentin Williams had that one really good year. Devonta Smith. Jameer Gibbs was there for one year. Jonathan I'm going Allen. with Julio. Yeah. Um, I've talked to people that think that the best Alabama player, uh, Derek Thomas, that's not necessarily controversial, but number two on that list, I've heard Will Anderson just in terms of Alabama performance. Yeah, I'm just saying, the you know Julio's what he's done, and he's probably a future Hall of Famer. Oh yeah, no, I'll give you that. But I was just thinking about something that I'd heard in, okay. in conjunction. That's with great. It. I appreciate you short shared that. Now my Make, day will be fulfilled going forward. They're, they're honestly, there. Ryan, a ton, a ton of success. But you wouldn't like pinpoint a ton of future Hall of Famers on this list. Julio, yes. Yeah. Um, Right, and they're young. So Mink is still young. Calvin's not going to be a Hall of Famer, no disrespect, but I don't think that's going to happen. Tua, Jalen Waddell, Patrick Sertan, great player. Again, a lot of these guys are pretty young, so we have to get Sertan's on that path. Yeah. Uh, Derek Henry, Hall of Famer? Uh, Stephon Diggs' brother. Trevon, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was a second-round pick. Debo's got him. He was a receiver that Nick moved over to corner. Well, good move. Um, Landon Collins was a second-rounder. Derek Henry. Cam Robinson still playing. Trevon Diggs, you mentioned Landon Dickerson for Devo's Eagles. Oh, boy. Can he call plays? Brian Branch, who we just talked about earlier. And then some five-star first-rounders. Oh, Drake Kirkpatrick. My lasting memory of Drake Kirkpatrick was uh, Le'Veon Bell stiff-arming him through the earth. Uh, the, the Steelers-Bengals games. Trent Richardson, top five pick. Chance Warmack, as Debo mentioned before, was a three-star. D. Milner. Oh, man, that's a blast from the past. Ryan, you know how like recent Drake Kirkpatrick was, right? Like f- fairly recent player. Yeah, his son committed to Alabama this what? year. Jeez, that doesn't sound right. He was. Uh, like, it, it, you know what'll be interesting? Everybody that committed to Nick, if yeah. there's going to be a lot of decommits or how this is going to all unfold. So wide receiver Isaiah be, Bond left for Texas, I believe. Yeah. And then we'll see what else happens. But they moved quickly to get. They, I mean, they had a succession plan in place, which is no surprise. Um, and that's going to be fun to watch too with Kalen DeBoer out of Washington and, yep. and what they do. And he got his offensive coordinator out of Washington. As, as well. we were doing the show, I, I think Caleb Downs, the the safety, announced plans to enter the portal. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Rick. That's all we got. I want to talk quickly about Nick. Get an update from you. Thank you for that. And thank you for uh, concealing your identity when necessary. <laughs> uh, I will be back. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Devo, that is going to be our future once Washington gets themselves a head coach. So we look forward to that. Um, What are the plans this week, Devo? Do we know or we don't know yet? We are developing those. I I do have a new feature uh, for the next episode that Rick is on. Anytime he he gets a little out of pocket, we're going to play this. 
<laughs> Love it. You, you guys got to miss me. Don't we have fun on oh, this podcast? Yeah, I have a hell, I, it's a great time on this podcast. And uh, yeah, no, we miss you uh, terribly. And I think we've learned, we've all learned some valuable lessons in this process that we will <laughs> apply going forward. But it was good to see Rick. Hey, Debo. So uh, since you're the uh, compliance officer, so if I did wear a mask or you blurred my face out and altered my voice, I still can't talk about the players. Well, uh, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> yeah. Rick out here trying to get us all fired. <laughs> all going to be working for the commander social media department at this rate. <laughs> That's a joke. That's a joke. All right. Oh my God. In the meantime, for when Rick is ready to, to get back with us, to Rick roll us, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and nominate the FBS or FCS player who is draft eligible and we'll evaluate that guy. We have a couple guys in the hopper, but feel free to add to that and we'll do that at some point soon. Um, otherwise... Here's to Rick and the commanders uh, speedily coming to a conclusion on who the coach will be. Good luck to the old Detroit Lions this weekend if we don't talk before then, Rick. But thanks to everyone uh, who watches and listens and comments. Thanks to my guy, Rick. Good to see you again in your undisclosed location. And thanks to producer Debo for producing. We will see you guys soon. Soon.